We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by Nick Filato. Tonight we're here to give our rapid reaction key takeaways to the Giants' Week 17 victory over the Dallas Cowboys and what just went down on Sunday night football between the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles. I am at a loss for words for what I just experienced on my television screen. People like to throw around the word tanking a lot in the NFL. They said the Dolphins were tanking two years ago. That wasn't the case. They said the Jets were tanking this year. That wasn't actually the case. It was just, quite frankly, a really bad call by a defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, who was fired the next week just to prove that there was no tanking there. But what we just saw, I said on Twitter it was the closest thing to tanking, and somebody replied, I wish Twitter had an edit button so you could edit that and take the word closest out. I think that was tanking. Um, Gun to my head right now. I believe that Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie said that if this game is close, get Nate Sudfeld, told Doug Peterson, who they are planning to bring back for next season, he's going to have a quote-unquote meeting this week, it's going to lead to nothing, maybe they'll change some coordinators and change some dumb position coaches, but I believe that Lurie and Roseman told Peterson this week, if this game is close, get Nate Sudfeld some reps, give him some reps, put him in the game, and ultimately... If you look at how this game played out in the second half, Washington football team didn't score a single point in the second half. And before the Eagles turned to Sudfeld, Nate Sudfeld, a guy who is a borderline NFL talent at best, you know, the Eagles have been trying to develop him, quote unquote, but it's not like this guy has any kind of arm talent, mobility, pedigree. He was a sixth round draft pick in 2016 by the Washington football team. And they brought him into a game with no reps with this offense, with no reps with the players on the field, with no reps behind the offensive line. And this is after they had already rested a lot of players and made a lot of players inactive, which I think also builds on the tank narrative and the possibility of a tank. After they made the interception to get to midfield, they were down 17-14 after they screwed up in the red zone and should have just taken the points in a game like that anyway. But they had a chance to win the game anyway if Jalen Hurts is on the field. Jalen Hurts was having a pretty good game. And I am just so confused by what I just saw. What do you make of what we just experienced and witnessed? It's a full-on tank job. Absolutely. It's three picks difference in the draft from six to nine. So now the Eagles will be picking at six, I believe. And it was a full-on tank job by the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think it's necessarily a malice shot at the Giants, but it's something that works out for them because it ends up screwing the New York Giants. And again, I think Dan and I both agree with this. The Giants shouldn't have been in this position. They controlled their destiny and they shot themselves in the foot. But the sad reality of this division, of this NFC East that is so putrid and disgusting, was that it came down to the last game in Week 17, Sunday Night Football, that was going to determine who was going to represent the division. And then that game was tanked by the Philadelphia Eagles. I think you can believe both of those things, that the Giants, you know, kind of screwed themselves. But at the same time, Philadelphia tanked that game away and that secured the right for the Washington football team to represent the NFC East. I mean, I'm pretty pissed off about it, to be honest. It stinks. I wanted to see Daniel Jones in the playoffs. And hopefully, uh, I mean, I'm not even hopefully, this is going to uh, really kind of conjure up a lot of negative emotions towards Philadelphia. I didn't think that rivalry could get any more bitter, and it just got 10 times more bitter. Yeah. 
I'm not going to use the F word to describe any of these players or coaches or decision makers right now because this is a family-friendly podcast, but I will say this. Screw Doug Peterson. Yes. Screw Nate Sudfeld because you just suck. You suck, buddy. You suck, and I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if, you, if you're if trying your best. You don't belong in the NFL. That was clear tonight. Screw Laurie, because I think Laurie was a big part of this. Jeffrey Laurie, the owner. He's a little grimy. In my opinion, everything I've read about him, every time I see him on that screen, I feel like he's a very grimy guy. Just a, just a feel. I don't really have any proof for this. I don't know if he's done anything nasty or dirty behind the scenes. He was very grimy to me. He might not be as, as grimy as Dan Schneider. but <laughs> Yeah, he's not Dan Schneider and not me. Nick's referring to yeah. Washington football team owner Dan Snyder. No one's as grimy as that dude, who, by the way, once a year on Twitter, maybe more like three times a year if I'm being honest, I get mistaken for Dan Snyder and I get <laughs> hate tweets from Washington fans, and they're so funny. Every time I reply the same thing, you have the wrong Dan Snyder. They're always like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I thought it was you. It's been happening more since I got the blue check mark on Twitter but it's not the same but I feel like he made a call here I really do I feel like Roseman was in on it though I think Roseman's future there I'm not certain of but I think it was a team job the Eagles did this on purpose they looked at this game and they said we don't see any value to knocking the Washington football team out of this even though Jim Schwartz Eagles defensive coordinator during the week said we don't want to give anybody the hat to wear at our home uh, field you know, the, the champion, NFC's champion hats. But that's the same coordinator who's not going to be back with the team next year. So he's not going to be part of their future. And so if he's mad and his players are mad and they played angry, that Philadelphia defense played their heart out. They have so many injuries across that Eagles defense. They have street guys in the secondary that just got torched by the same Andy Dalton the Giants shut down. They have guys on the defensive line out. Their best player, Fletcher Cox, didn't play this game. Derek Barnett, their second best pass rusher, didn't play this game. And they still played their hearts out and completely shut down Alex Smith, forced incredible, forced turnovers after turnover to turnover, deserved to win this game, would have won this game if Jalen Hurts was in, and yet their owners took it away from them. Now, I don't want to sound completely hypocritical because I am the same guy who said I wanted Daniel Jones to throw for 350 yards, five passing touchdowns against the Washington football team last year, and I wanted the Giants to lose that game in overtime. And I stand by that. Chase Young immediately emerged as a leader on that team. Everything I've read is that he's incredible work ethic, incredible off the field, earned the captain pa- patch immediately, and obviously is made a man- massive impact. If the Giants had Chase Young this year instead of Andrew Thomas, or anyone literally, besides Justin Herbert, I guess, but anyone besides Justin Herbert or Chase Young this year, or Joe Burrow maybe, the Giants would be a better football team. And that's not just for this year, that's for the next 10 years. So I stand by that. I wanted Daniel Jones to have an amazing game and the Giants to lose that game. So I'm not going to sit here and say that this is bad for the Eagles' future because I don't think it is. I think this is actually better for the Eagles' future. I'm not a big believer in the whole negative juju stuff and the bad locker room and the culture crap because they're going to make enough changes. And if it makes a difference with who they get with the first round, the second round, the third round, the fourth round, which is uncertain, at least it gives them a better chance. But I will say this. Although I did want the Giants to lose that game and Jones to go off, I didn't want the Giants to tank the game. I don't want to ever be the team. I don't want to ever be covering a team or rooting for a team that tanks. That just feels dirty and weird. I don't think I've ever seen an NFL team do this. It was full-on NBA-style tanking before the NBA changed their lottery. And so I'm really just stunned by what I saw. Absolutely stunned. And it's also ironic, and I do feel bad for some of the offensive linemen when they pan the camera over to the offensive line. You could see they, they looked very resentful. And that's where I think I would disagree with you with the whole culture things. I think there is now this might have come from the top. So maybe it's not directed at Doug Peterson per se, but I think that there's going to be resentment built from those veterans and even those young players who are putting their body on the line in that game. And Jason Kelsey was the player who came out a couple weeks ago and had that that video tweet that went viral, him talking about, look, we go out there to win. I, I don't understand people saying that you want to lose to get a higher draft pick. And he went on like a three-minute diatribe, kind of bashing against anybody who says you you lose to get a higher pick and all that kind of nonsense. So the fact that it was his team that blatantly tanked, I think with a veteran leader, a captain like Jason Kelsey, might not sit well in that locker room. Okay, I want to make it clear. I don't think it will sit well in that locker room, and I think it can be something that festers in the locker room, but I also think when you refresh the season as you move forward to 2021 or any new season, these guys have a job to do. They're getting paid mm. to do their job, and they're going to do their job, and they're yeah. not going to be like, because last year we tanked, I'm not going to give it my all this year. I think they're going to have to do their job. They're going to want to do their job so they can get 
you know, keep their contract, not get cut, get a better contract. And I think ultimately it's water under the bridge as far as how they perform in week one of the next season. But I do think over the off season, it could lead to some bad stuff. It could lead to potentially if things start to go bad early in the season, like they did for the Giants. So the Giants are the opposite of case. The Giants went one and seven, and then the locker room came together, rallied around that, had a four game winning streak. And then I guess finish the season strong. Some people might say, I don't. They lost three must-win games against playoff teams and beat a crappy Dallas team. Let's keep that in perspective. But at the same time, the locker room didn't give up and they didn't turn on each other. There was none of that Janoris Jenkins type, Odell, Landon Collins type stuff. We saw that that collapse season in 2018. I think the opposite could be the case in Philly next year. If they start one and six, one and seven, they might look back on this and what happened and it might turn into something where it's a total collapse of the locker room. You have people talking anonymous sources like the Giants had that season in 2018 when it collapsed under McAdoo, all the anonymous sources, all the disarray. And so I think long-term, it could be more of an issue than for week one next season. But regardless, I'm just completely stunned at what I saw because I I just never thought it would happen. I think you put it well, though, and maybe we should all should have kind of read through the tea leaves. I mean, when Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders mm-hmm. and all these guys who are a little dinged up, but if this was a playoff game, you damn well know they were <laughs> playing. We should have knew that something was up there. But when I heard that Nate Sudfeld was coming in the game, I was like, nah, this it's got to be a joke, right? Al Michaels, like, there's no way. And then when I saw him out there throw the interception, I was like, ah, they'll go back to Jalen Hurts now. Yeah, exactly. And then, no. And I was like, okay, this is officially a tank. And then you go to Giants Twitter, and you just see it burning, full-on <laughs> Elmo meme, just burn, burning to the ground. And uh, it, it's it was very frustrating. But, again, the Giants shouldn't have put themselves in this position, but it was the reality of the NFC East. Yeah, and I will say this, and I told this to Nick after the game, I can't even imagine... The pain, Mm. the suffering, the anger, but mostly just the pain and anger that I would be experiencing right now and that I think every single one of you listening today will be experiencing right now. If the Giants were 11-5 and and the Washington football team was 11-4 and or something like that, or the Giants were 10-6, and or let's say 11-5, and because it happened to the Patriots once. They didn't get in at 11-5, and and this was the difference between getting in the playoffs or not. Obviously, it's so much rarer now with the seven-team playoff, but let's say it was even just 10-6. and or let's even say they were 9-7 and seven and they just had injuries that led to 9. Like they were a, a, a clearly an 11-win team but got some bad injuries, started to rally together, and had a really ch- good chance at winning a Super Bowl. Because remember, we've seen in our lifetimes, and most of you are listening in unless they're really young fans, two Super Bowl runs from teams that weren't really complete during the regular season and came together in the playoffs. And I wanted to see if Daniel Jones had that playoff magic. I really did. I don't personally think this was the right team for it at six and ten. I think they might have been able to upset the Bucs because they played them really well and they might and they match up pretty well. And Daniel Jones beat them last season and he beat that defense last season. And even in this game, if Daniel Jones didn't have that was kind of an out of body experience for Jones. It was his worst game as a pro. And if he didn't have his worst game as a pro, he left like two hundred and fifty yards in passing and three TDs on the field. And that could very well happen next week if the Giants were hosting the Bucks, they match up well. Now, the week after that, Saints, Packers, I don't see any chance of the Giants winning. Not with this 6-10 and 10 team. But if this was like an 11-5 team, oh my God, right now would I be hating on the Eagles even more. So would I. So would I. I already do. I mean, I did before this game, and I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast agrees with me on that one. It's but hey, you know, the Giants did their part in Week 17, you could yes. say. You know, before Week 17, you can have your arguments against it. In Week 17, they did their part. They beat the Dallas Cowboys when the Dallas Cowboys were coming off of a three-game winning streak. They were coming off of a three-game losing streak, the New York Giants, and the Giants were able to get that victory. Sadly, before that, they put the ball in the hands of, of another team where they had to rely on the tanking Philadelphia Eagles and the Eagles just tech. I, I don't even know who they're going to draft. I don't even know what their plans are. It's yeah. three freaking picks, and now every Giant fan is going to hate whoever that poor son of a bitch is coming out of college. Yeah, no, he's going to be circled on the list. And I think you said it best. I'm not trying to steal your line, but I'll credit you for this since I guess you didn't bring it up naturally. But Nate, uh, Nick, Nick said this to me earlier, and I think it's so true. In 20, 30, however many years, Giants fans will now forever remember the name Nate Sudfeld. He will be in entrenched ingrained in our memories for whatever reason a guy who's literally probably never going to take another starting snap in the nfl i don't think he'll ever play another down in the nfl that's not preseason and yet we will remember this guy a guy who literally none of us would even have any clue was unless you're the true diehard draft nick who somehow studied him and saw like that he was being developed by the eagles and you were that big of a fan but 
that's the case for the for the Giants right now. Uh, I'm sorry for Giants fans right now. And I think ultimately what stings me the most, aside from the fact that I do believe the Giants actually had a chance against the Bucks because they matched up pretty well. Not only on offense but on defense. The Giants defense did a really good job against Brady that first game. But what really stings me is that I think the Giants are the best team in the NFC East. I think they're considerably better than the Washington football team in a lot of ways. I think this Washington football team looked terrible tonight in a must-win game against every backup the Eagles had, a secondary that had street-free agents. Alex Smith could not move the ball at all vertically. Everything was underneath, and he made similar mistakes to what we saw him make against the Giants with these interceptions. And at the same time, on the defensive side of the ball, they didn't even play that great until the Eagles pulled Jalen Hurts. They scored two touchdowns, the Eagles, and then they were driving to score a third touchdown, the Eagles, and then they went for it on fourth and screwed up and the rest is history, but that's probably what stings me also. I think the Giants were the best team in the East, but I guess in the end, ultimately, what is that even saying? Um, it is the worst division in the history of football. It and is. so we'll start there, though. I think what you said has merit, Nick. The Giants today, at least, at home, against a team that's motivated in Week 17. Not all teams were motivated. The Dallas Cowboys came into this not only riding a three-game, mean, like some kind of like typical three-game meaningless win streak like you see from some teams in the season, like the Chargers, for example. I think they just won their last four games. None of them matter. Dallas won three games, came into this game with a chance to win the NFC East if they had won this game. And so they were fully motivated, the Cowboys. And the Giants, of course, in the same boat as the Dallas Cowboys, chance to win the NFC East. Giants came out. They played an incredible first half. They dominated that first half. They looked as good as I've seen them this season, this first half. It wasn't a good second half for the Giants specifically on the offensive side of the ball. But on defense, they came up with big stops to the end and a huge turnover. And ultimately, they were the better team, in my opinion, by far today. Would you agree with that take? But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your own show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Yes, I would say the Giants were the the better team. I, I don't even know what was wrong with Andy Dalton early on. I don't know if it was the cold, but he looked pretty horrendous early on. And the Giants, what would you say the biggest Achilles heel for the Giants defense this entire season would be probably the fact that they couldn't generate a pass rush. Well, that wasn't the case today against Andy Dalton. Last two games, Andy Dalton was sacked four times. He was sacked six times in this game. I think three of them were on third down, if my memory serves me correctly. Could have been actually four, and they were in big spots too. Another one that was on a first and ten was when they were driving to score that go-ahead score to win the football game, and Leonard Williams ended up getting that sack because they blitzed Blake Martinez and there was no one that blocked Leonard Williams. The next play was an interception by Xavier McKinney so yes I would definitely have to agree with you on that and the Giants who knows how uh, ugly this game might have been though if one play didn't happen and we probably should mention this one player now because he kind of is related I guess you could say to the Philadelphia Eagles because of that big drop pass that the Giants would be in the playoffs if he catches that pass on Thursday night football and that's Evan Ingram dropping Another pass today that was intercepted by a Dallas safety, dropping that pass on Thursday Night Football that would have secured the win in the first matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles, where the Giants would have swept the Eagles this season. But, you know, that's that's the story of Evan Ingram, sadly. He's an enigma. He has all the athletic ability and the potential in the world, but he doesn't harness it, and he's way too inconsistent. And he literally has—he's been, I think, 
targeted six of the interceptions between Colt McCoy and Daniel Jones. At least three of them popped right off of his either face mask or his hands and were intercepted. And it stinks to say, man, but Evan Ingram, those those mistakes may have cost the Giants. Well, I guess you can easily say those mistakes cost the Giants a chance to go to the to the playoffs. Yeah, they did. And you brought it up best in this specific game. It turned the entire momentum of the game. It was a good ball by Jones. It went right through Evan Ingram's hands, hit his face mask. It wasn't even a curl, so I can't even crush Garrett for this one. It was a slant, which gives you a chance to run after the catch if you catch that ball. He had decent separation on it, and he just let it go right through his hands. Since it hit his face mask, it popped up in the air, which we knew that any Giants fans who watches, who watches, or any football fan knows when that ball's popped in the air, it's likely going to result in an interception. At this point, I think it's a little overrated to say that Evan Ingram has all the athletic ability because I don't think he has any kind of next-level agility, if that makes any sense. No, I think that's fair. I think what he has from an athletic standpoint, I don't think he has next-level agility. I don't think he has next-level leaping ability. I don't think he has next-level body control in the air. I think he has next... I think he has the burst explosiveness and he has leaping ability. I don't think he uses it correctly. I don't think he uses it at the catch point. I think it's a big, it's a receiver knock on him, not an athletic knock on him. I don't think, body control, I think you're totally right on. But when do you ever see Evan Ingram really jump up, use his body to shield away from a defender, yeah, secure know. a pass? Yeah. I mean, catching the football is is kind of a painful watch for Evan Ingram. Even when he comes down with it, it's, he's it's a, a really bad catcher of the football. It's awkward, right? He's a really, and remember, this was a guy who went to Ole Miss, not a big time recruit in Ole Miss, really late blue there he was an old rookie for the Giants had a really breakout season for Ole Miss and the very end of his Ole Miss career and then had the combine of the century and when you have a combine like that and Jerry Reese is your GM as a GM of a football team I should say it's gonna you're gonna catch his attention because Jerry Reese is all about those combine eye poppers and all about that let's take a guy we can coach him up and we can mold him but now we're what, 17, 18, 19, 20, four years into this guy's career, he has not really improved as a pass catcher as far as just catching the football. He doesn't do a good job of using his body to shield defenders. He doesn't do a good job with body control in the air, leaping for high, leaping to high point balls. He doesn't run great routes. He can't really block because of his frame, but he puts in good effort. He's still great after the catch, but in this specific offense with Jason Garrett, it's not utilized much at all. And at this point, I understand the Giants really like his work ethic and that he comes to work hard and he wants to get better, but it's kind of like that guy who everyone in their life, or that guy or girl, I should say, who everyone in their life has worked with in some job, in some capacity at some point, whether whatever that job was. And this person asks a lot of questions, some good, some bad. This person comes to work every day on time, shows up early, stays late if you need them to. They want to get better, but they're not getting better. And they may not be able to get better. And it kind of starts to feel that way with Ingram. And I hope the Giants aren't overlooking this fact because it seems like they still want him as part of their long-term plans. Now, thankfully, they haven't shown that by re-signing him yet. They're going to let, probably let him play out that fifth-year rookie option, which is fine. It's the right play. It's not much. It's not expensive, so I would still try to. And again, if the Giants make the correct decision, which I think was, by the way, just continues to be shown week after week, but that decision is to change offensive systems. I can't go into 2021 with this system. It's not maximizing the talent. But if they make the correct decision to change the system, Ingram could improve to some degree, but I'm I'm falling off. I'm kind of off. I'm, I think I'm down. I'm done with Ingram. And I know you, I'm sure you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the fact that without Saquon Barkley, I think you do need that element of playmaking ability. It's just they put so much on his plate, and that's what you want to do. You want to get the ball into your playmaker's hands. That makes sense, right? But he's just way too inconsistent at this point. And it, you know, I don't think things can be boiled down to one play too often, but if we're going to play that game specifically, you can look at Evan Ingram and be like, are kind of the reason we're not in the playoffs right now because he cost the Giants a couple games in this and that's not what you want from anybody on your football team let alone your quote-unquote best playmaker or most athletic playmaker because you do have Sterling Shepard who in this game had a phenomenal game yeah and let's we can talk about the other players in this game in a second but I do think it's important to note Ingram finished with two receptions for 17 yards and that drop led to an interception I mean really if it wasn't for that Ingram drop interception when the Giants were driving the random Gallman fumble the first one and then that like pretty like 
debatable crackback block that killed the drive because they were had a six-yard gain. It would have been second and four. Instead, it was first and 25. And Shepard's head was in front of him. His, yeah. head, his head was in front of him. And then, of course, on first and 25, Garrett then ran tr- two draw plays to Alfred Morris. Like, literally as bad of play calls as you can get there. Yeah, that was, that was disgusting. Um, but... Like I said, the Giants pretty much dominated the game and just made a lot of stupid mistakes to keep the Cowboys in this game. Ultimately won it because the defense came up big in a lot of spots, like you said. Six sacks, ton of pressures, one pressure that led to an interception, Xavier McKinney on the board. By the way, that wasn't Xavier McKinney's only standout play. He made a lot of good plays in this game. He's starting to get his feet under him. He's going to be a really good player for the Giants in next year. Yeah, he's one of my favorite building blocks. Oh, absolutely. He had another pick, too, that was called back on yes. penalty. Yeah, he's he looked really, really, really like comfortable. I would say really the first time, I don't think he looked uncomfortable any other times, but he looked like he really knew where, where to be, when to be exactly. there. Exactly. He was in, in better game. spots mm-hmm. this game. He was finally starting to feel for where he should be. That's the best way to describe it, Nick. And that was great. But let's focus a little bit on the offense, too, because the offense had a pretty strong game with the exception of those mistakes. I want to start with Daniel Jones, who I thought played a really good game for Jones. I, I, I'm not going to say for Jones. I thought he played a good game for where he's at in his health, because obviously he's still not fully mobile. Um, but one thing I noticed with Jones, and he averaged nine yards per attempt, which is huge for Jones. Jones has typically this season been in the five to seven yard per attempt range. And what you typically want to see from good quarterbacks and from quarterbacks who are plus players helping your team win is about 7.5 or above yards per attempt. That's a key number, people say. Today, 9.2, great stuff from Jones. Obviously, he had the pick that wasn't his fault. He took two sacks. One wasn't his fault, went unblocked. Actually, neither was his fault, really. One went unblocked completely. I don't know what they were thinking. The other was the stunt, which they're getting, been, for some reason, getting killed. That was, all, that was also a hold, too. It was a hold. That was a defensive yes. hold. Zeitler, we've been, I don't want to say bashing him on the podcast, but we've been kind of realistic about how he's struggled with uh, the other with the right tackle, whether it be Perrin or Cam Fleming. But on that play, he was legit being held. There's no yep. way he could have got over there. You have to call that. It was a bad call. Um, but other than that, I mean, Jones... Nine yards per attempt. Really had a good rapport going with Sterling Shepard, who just looked freaking awesome this game, man. I mean, Shepard's been playing through turf toe the whole year. Eight receptions, 112 yards for Shepard in this game. And that's with only a long of 21, so he really got it going the entire game. I thought that was great to see. I thought it was also great to see. And I had two touchdowns when you consider the fact that he had the running touchdown, too. Almost, what, 100 36 yards of offense from Sterling Shepard, who continues to be the most underrated player, I think, on this Giants roster. The fans still don't understand, I think, what he is capable of when he's healthy, the separation he creates, the ability to have this kind of production in spite, in my opinion, of Jason Garrett's offense. And another positive bright spot that I wanted to ask you about was Dante Pettis, because two receptions, 43 yards, had that really nice route down the seam that Jones did an excellent job, in my opinion, of ripping the ball in i mean jones let that thing rip on a rope and not only did he do that he read the safety coming down on the deep over then reset the pocket which is something i've been wanting to see from jones this entire season and changed his launch point and let it rip down the seam so ultimately i thought the skill players actually had a really good game in this one yeah, Dante, well, first off, that that throw by Daniel Jones was great. Dante Pettis, the two catches for 43 yards, the touchdown, I mean, that, that was great. He had those two targets, caught them both. But the one catch the one catch that he actually made that was almost not a catch was the was the touchdown catch that hit him in the face mask, then he juggled it, then he crossed, the, then he crossed broke the plane, and then it bounced out of his hands, and then he fell on top of it. It was pretty sloppy looking, to be honest. But I kind of like the fact that he is being implemented in the offense because I do think he adds another element. He is a a good athlete. He was a pretty solid route runner coming out of Washington. It just didn't work out in San Francisco. And then the other catch he made, it wasn't a catch. I mean, I thought it was a great body adjustment and a great uh, way to kind of fool Mike McCarthy, which doesn't seem like it's all that hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) But that was on like a third and 18, and it put Graham Gano within, I think, a 50-yard field goal. And if Mike McCarthy challenges that, the Giants could have ended up losing that game. That was insane that he didn't throw the challenge flag. Good on the Giants special teams to get set up to kick that field goal, and good job by Dante Pettis to sell it, but that was not a catch. And that was such an oversight by McCarthy. That was really, really bad in-game coaching by McCarthy, a guy who anyone who listened to our podcast this offseason knew I was saying anything but hire McCarthy. He was last on my list. 
did a horrendous job in Green Bay, was carried by Aaron Rodgers, actually held Aaron Rodgers back, and almost made, almost convinced the world that Aaron Rodgers was no good anymore. That's how bad of a coach he was. He literally almost had the world convinced that Aaron Rodgers was over the hill. He's so, his system was so bad. But that was a big mistake. I mean, if he doesn't make that mistake and he challenges that play, the Giants aren't in field goal range. They punt, and the Cowboys ended up driving and they only would have needed three points instead of the seven, they probably lose the game, the Giants. The Cowboys probably milk the clock, kick a game-winning field goal with about eight, ten seconds left. The Giants never get a chance to touch the ball. So it was a massive oversight by McCarthy. But ultimately, I don't think that's the reason the Giants won the game. The Giants wouldn't even be in position to lose this game if it wasn't for Ingram's drop, Goldman's random fumble, that first and 25 crack black block crap that they got put in. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that Goldman fumble, too, I wanted to touch on something. The I think the Dallas Cowboys picked up a first down, and then on their next set of downs, the three downs, Leonard Williams just took the game over, and he stopped Tony Pollard. Then he knocked that back that back that backdoor screen pass down, going and then for seven, yes, and then he sacked Andy Dalton to force that field goal. It's, those are the things that Leonard Williams can do that other players just cannot really. He can kind of take the game over and make a huge impact. That really kind of look that was early on. But that huge impact is another reason why the Giants won this game. Three plays right in a row, stops Dallas, forces a field goal. You kind of forget about it, but then when you go back and you watch the game, you're like, holy crap, those were three huge, gigantic plays by Leonard Williams. He kept doing it throughout the entire game. Yeah, I mean, listen, Leonard Williams is a guy who we talked about these past few weeks. Where has he been? What's been going on? Why has he disappeared? Ultimately, when you actually look at the tape, it's more so because he's been the, the offensive line has paid more attention to him. Giants have faced again better offensive lines in recent weeks. Uh, Baltimore, for example, Cleveland, for sure. But he showed up big in this one. Three and a half sacks for Leonard Williams. Five quarterback hits. Same kind of length in the run game that he always provides. And it ultimately, he was awesome today. He was big time. I mean, he finished the season now with 11 and a half sacks. I think he's number one or two among IDLs, interior defensive linemen, for quarterback hits, which is a stat to me is more important than sacks because they lead to they lead to disruptions, they lead to bad passes, errant throws, sometimes turnovers, um, and then pressures. He's up there too for among interior guys. If the Giants can pair with him, some kind of elite edge, and even elite is probably the wrong word to find. It's going to be hard to find an elite guy in any offseason. But if Giants can get a top tier edge or a guy who can come in right away and provide pressure on the edge they can run a stunt game with Williams and him whoever this may be next season that's going to be really freaking deadly it's another reason why if they had Chase Young on this roster I think they'd be a better football team because him and Chase Young would be running a really good two-man game on third downs but you're right ultimately Williams took over that drive and that was a key drive in this game it was a very key drive, and I couldn't imagine having another edge guy I mean I know the Giants like to run a lot of bare fronts a lot of tight fronts and Typically, offenses don't use a lot of slide protection in those specific fronts. But when they do go into those two, four, five, and they're not really in an odd front, bare front, whatever, what have you, having another edge opposite of Leonard Williams, who are you going to slide towards? Say if it was Chase Young, you're going to have to probably slide towards Chase Young, leaving Leonard Williams with these one-on-ones all day. And Leonard Williams is athletic enough to take advantage of that. That would have been awesome to see and he's been winning in a lot in a variety of ways with his passers i see some spin off i see him using his hands to win reps he actually does a really good job he totally bitched out connor mcgovern i actually that might have been dalvin that i'm thinking of the rep yeah it's probably the dalvin rep connor williams connor williams not connor mcgovern they have connor mcgovern too on that roster this is connor williams the kid from texas i thought was a value pick for them but hasn't ultimately been that good I know he's been a little better this year, but not the player I thought he would be for the Cowboys. And I thought it was a smart pick. They were still investing in their line. It's really hard to find linemen. But Leonard Williams, man, he today earned his next contract. I don't care what Giants fans tell me this offseason. I don't want to pay him this much. He wants to get paid like Aaron Donald. Well, guess what? He's not going to get that exact contract Donald get, but he's going to get close to it. And don't care. Don't bother yourself with it. The salary cap is not that meaningful. The Giants can easily find a way around it. They don't pay for a quarterback right now. They barely pay anything at receiver. They barely pay anything at offensive line. And a ton of money there is coming off the books in the next two years when Seitler and Solder come off. They don't pay anything really at running back. Actually, they do pay a lot at running back already. I take that back. They don't really pay anything at tight end. Ingram's contract's still not that huge. They don't really pay anything anywhere else on the defensive line yet. They might. We'll see what happens with Tomlinson. They have one big linebacker contract, one big, uh, sorry, two big secondary contracts. And that's it. That's the whole roster. When you think of it like that, 
don't worry about the cap. There's teams that have eight big contracts. The Rams have seven or eight guys getting paid an insane amount of money right now, and somehow they make it work. So how does that work? So if you think the Giants should be in trouble, how does it make any sense? It doesn't add up. The point is, you can maneuver the cap, you can push some cap back to years, and sometimes you got to take those chances. And I hope ultimately this offseason, as we move forward, not only Leonard Williams gets that big deal, I'm actually now leaning toward just go all out, tag Dalvin, re-sign Leonard, and just say F it. Bring this whole time entire roster back, and then go from there and see what you can do. Because they will be able to do it if they start to push some cap back. It's going to require dipping a little bit into that well of future years, but until they re-sign Jones, they have the flexibility, and if they re-sign Jones. And then possibly, and I know we haven't been super high on this, but you, there are a lot of really good wide receivers, and I think oh, you yeah. can consider a wide I'm receiver at 10 or 11, wherever I believe they are picking at. And I think the one thing that kind of sucks about the wide receivers this year is we saw a lot of talented wide receivers last year, but they all fell. They all fell to the teens in the 20s after Justin Jefferson and a lot of all these receivers balled out all season. I can see this being another draft like it was with John Ross, uh, Mike Williams, and Corey Davis, where you're going to see several receivers possibly drafted in the top 10. Uh, I'm a little more skeptical on that right now because... The league does that, though, man. It's kind of cyclical. And after what Justin Jefferson was able to do for Minnesota, granted Minnesota wasn't a playoff team, but just the records that he was able to break this season, Randy Moss's record, and there were several other obviously very good rookie receivers. I could see Jamar Chase and and Devonta Smith just kind of getting pushed up boards pretty ridiculously being top 10 picks. From that standpoint, I can. But when you look at the actual draft, Jacksonville Jets, I think, are going quarterback, quarterback. Mm-hmm. Miami is the interesting one. I think they were going to go receiver, right? You would imagine. I don't think they're going to go okay. receiver, actually. I, I think, think it's too early to tell. but It's too early to tell, but I think they're actually probably going to take Sewall. I mean, I think that makes sense, but what I will say, if they aren't going to go with Tua, you're going to have to surround Tua with playmakers that are better. Or than you them. surround him with Sewall. Or you yep. surround him with the best offensive tackle prospect. Well, in the last I'm not going to lie, man. This doesn't look great for the Big Blue Banter podcast, but Austin Johnson's have or Austin Jackson's have had a pretty good year, I believe. He is. Yeah. He is. And I was down on Jackson. Yeah. I, mean, I know you were, too. <laughs> but either way, that's still one tackle. They need two. Yeah. And I think they'll be better off giving two a better tackle than a receiver, especially because they can get a really good receiver at the top of round two, like the Bengals did last year with T. Higgins. And then they have another first-round pick, too. So. And they have another first-round pick yeah. of a super deep receiver class. Then you go down the list. Cincy, I don't think, has any chance of taking a receiver. They're set yeah. there. Atlanta, not going to take a receiver with Ridley and Julio right now. Philly, very very good chance to take a receiver. But they did just take one with Rager. I don't know how many, how many teams go back-to-back round one receivers. Detroit, maybe if they let Galladay walk. Carolina, I could see them doing it. Maybe, but they do have DJ Moore and Sam- Robbie Anderson. Bo- Samuel's probably gone, though. Samuel's probably gone. Maybe there. I'm not so sure on that one. And then you go down to Denver, no chance with what they've done in the receiver core. Dallas, no chance. And then it's the Giants. So ultimately, I think if, if the Giants want to go receiver, which I actually am probably still going to be against because I think the better bet is to sign Allen Robinson for whatever the hell he wants. Don't worry about it. The cap's not important. It's pretty mean- It's pretty overrated. And... Once you do that, you build the build out the rest of your roster early in draft. Now, obviously, if you're going to take a receiver early, there's a lot of good talent in this draft, and it's probably a sure thing. But I also think there's going to be really good talent at receiver in round two there and is. three. There is going to be. I just think I have to really study the guys, but just from watching college football, because I watch a good amount of it, the the upside of someone like Smith and Chase is is. It's tough to it's pass immense. up. They're the flashy picks, yeah. but it is also kind of what got the Giants into the Jerry Reese mess, going yeah, for the flashy J- picks. Yeah, Jerry Reese did it. Uh, he made it a point of emphasis, though. Yeah. If you do it once in a while, I don't think it's as bad. I agree yeah. it's not as bad if you do it once in yeah. a while, which is why I'm more open to it now than I've probably ever been. I'm kind of okay with a once in a while take a chance on one of these skill flashy players. Mm-hmm. But then again, you look at the DK Metcalfs, the AJ Browns, and the Terry McLaurins of the last two drafts, guys that went in rounds two and three and even T. Higgins this year, which ended up being a really good value pick by them. And you start to consider, well, when the Giants pick in round two, will Rondell Moore be there? How much worse is Rondell Moore than Chase Devontae Claypool Smith? Too, you could even... Yeah, Chase Claypool as well. Yeah. How much worse is Rondell Moore? How about Rashad Bateman? How much worse is Rashad Bateman than some of these guys? Kid from Minnesota. 
Yeah, so it's it's tough for me. Well, we're not at draft yet, but it is interesting, and it's curious. I'm curious why the Eagles, you know, cared so much about going from nine to six. It might be because they have their mind on getting the best receiver, or it might be because they think they can get Sewell there. Because obviously Jason Peters is getting older, and they've been a team that's always investing in their offensive line. So we'll have to see how the, all the draft stuff plays out. But there is a little bit more I want to talk about in this game, and I want to not. Uh, wrap up that so quickly when it comes to Daniel Jones because there was a lot I liked about Jones in this game one of the things you mentioned last week was that when you broke down the all 22 and I saw this too Jones was moving faster with his mind through his reads and getting the ball out quicker I think that carried over to this game against Dallas I think he did a great job getting through his reads there weren't as many of those where you saw him kind of work all the way back across the field to the field side and go to that fourth read but what I think he's doing a much better job of, and, and, and I discussed this with you during the game, and you mentioned that it might be because of the injury, but if it is, maybe they should look at the tape and be like, you know what, this is actually kind of a good plan for you moving forward. What he was doing a lot of in this game was stepping up into the pocket, those little steps, those quick steps, up, 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 as he's working through his reads, and then get rid of the ball. Instead of kind of just like what he used to do early in the season, which was hang all the way back there in the pocket, and when the pressure came either from the edge or the interior, he tried to escape to his right around kind of like what you see from the the more mobile quarterbacks they escape right and they go kind of laterally or backwards or he would go to his left and it would be fully laterally and he'd have to try to flip his hips and it would lead to some bad plays sometimes even fumbles when he's stepping up kind of like the brady's and the ryan's and the true pocket guys do i think he's ultimately in a better spot and especially obviously it's important in these spots for them him to have good interior pocket integrity if that's not there this is not possible but he has it a decent amount with Gates on that line and Zeitler playing pretty well and at times Lemieux playing okay. So I think that was a big step for him. What else did you see from Jones that you liked and did you see that too? I definitely saw that. There were a couple plays where he stepped up in the pocket, fired the ball. I thought his timing and his rhythm was also uh, very good this game, which is something that we've seen kind of progressed throughout the season I think the injury kind of slowed him down with that which is obviously really understandable he was able to move to me still it looks like literally someone just took his speed and Madden and just decreased it by like <laughs> 30 and yeah. that that's what he's moving at you could tell that he's not nearly as healthy but he doesn't look like he did when he was a total liability like he like in that Arizona Cardinals game but I still thought he was throwing relatively with good accuracy there was the pass deep to Darius Slayton that was definitely underthrown there was the pass to the sideline to Sterling Shepard that was underthrown there were a couple underthrown balls the one to Sterling Shepard could have been on Sterling Shepard Jones might have thought it was a comeback route and Shepard kind of broke it off more at a uh, a deeper angle so that's kind of hard for me to really determine I still feel pretty good about Daniel Jones and I don't think the Giants are going to try and upgrade or do anything like that. He's going to be the starting quarterback next year. Would you agree with that? Oh, I think he'll definitely be the starting quarterback next year. I'm not I'm not saying I feel as good about him as you do, I guess. And I'm not saying I'm in a position where I, as a general manager, would rule out the quarterbacks. I don't think the Giants have done much scouting of this quarterback class, would be my guess. I really I hate to admit that. I think all front offices should be scouting quarterbacks at all times, but I think they're in the same boat as what you just said, and I think that's fine to build around Jones and give him more of a chance. Um, I have a little bit of a different interpretation of that under th- of that pass to Shepard. I think it was kind of woefully underthrown. I think it's a little bit of an indictment on the level of arm talent that he does have. We saw issues with it last year against Philly when it was really cold in MetLife Stadium around the same week. It wasn't week 17. I think it was week 14 or 15. No, it was week 17. Was it week 17? Yeah, yeah it was week 17. There you go. And that underthrow to Sterling Shepard where he had like six yards of separation and the ball he just died. He had several. Yeah, that yeah, game. that was a crazy underthrow. But I think Jones's arm is going to struggle a bit in weather like this, just like Dalton's did today. Dalton is a similar type thrower. These aren't exactly drive throwers. I mean, Jones does actually do a decent job of driving the ball underneath and intermediate, but when it comes to the deeper throws, I feel like he needs better conditions. And I think that is a bit of a knock on him. I, I would agree. I don't know if that throw specifically with Shepard was that case because he made several throws that were very similar to that that were pinpoint. Sorry, not Shepard. I'm, I'm talking, oh, about, talking about, about the wrong throw. I'm talking about the slate. Oh, the slate. Not yes. the Shepard. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about yeah. the deep out to Shepard. That might have been communication. Yeah. I'm talking about the Slayton one up Absolutely. the left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the concerning one to me. The Slayton ball there needs to be put in a different spot. It can't be, be that up and over that outside yeah. shoulder, man. Yeah, that could have easily have been intercepted. That was actually been a pretty good play by Darius Slayton yes. to knock that away. And that's something we haven't... Slayton, I feel like he might have did this last week too. And he, I think he had one this week where 
Jones fires it right at the break point. Slayton's turns around and the ball's basically already like hitting him in the head. And he gets his hands up really quick to secure those catches. So I want to applaud Slayton for that because it's been kind of disappointing the last couple weeks with Darius Slayton. But in those situations, which yeah. he's faced the last two weeks, he, he did a pretty good job. But Dan, I wanted to ask you, how how fitting is it that the last offensive play that wasn't a kneel that the Giants ran in this 2020 season was Wayne Gallman getting sodomized by the football? <laughs> yeah, everybody's going off on that. It was a funny one. He got, I saw somebody tweet. One of my one of my colleagues from work was like, had tweeted the picture of Wayne Gallman sitting on the ball, and he's like, he's like, how I feel on Monday mornings or something like that, or like <laughs> my Monday morning or something like that. I don't know what it was. I botched it, but yeah, of course, Gallman fumbles kind of randomly after breaking free for a first down to seal the game. Luckily, he recovers his own fumble. Thankfully. So the Giants don't end up potentially losing the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of fitting way to end this Giants season. I think it's been a it's been a rough season, in my opinion, for the Giants. They played better than last year. I think they were a little bit better in some ways. But ultimately, they've had a lot of mistakes that led to close losses, like you said, that could have changed the season and they could have won the division if yep. they had won some of these games. And ultimately, I think... We saw 17 weeks of a really bad offensive system that I don't want to see back in 2021. And I think one of the key things for me, I'm now even shifting toward maybe it's more important to go new system than it is new GM if I could only pick one of the two. And I'm hoping I get both because I don't, I think Gettleman every year he's here is going to do damage to the Giants because of his process, unfortunately. It's just my personal opinion. I, 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 this year especially, like I would love to see the Giants trade that early second round pick for two or three picks. I think it's a part, they need depth more than anything. The depth on this roster is so bad in so many spots, but they're probably going to pick if Gettleman's there. Right where they land right now is where those picks will be made. I don't think they're going to add any picks with Gettleman. They never have, so it's hard for me to believe they will in the future. So, But ultimately, I, I don't want to watch this system again with Garrett. I just don't like it. It's very... It's like you said, even today, like a lot of the problem is that they run so much of these heavy personnels that it's so closed, this offense. It's not open. There's not a lot of motion. There's not a lot of misdirection to confuse defenses. There's not a lot of space. Everything's kind of clamped in. And it's just, it's tough to expect a lot of points and big plays out of an offense that operates like that. And it was good when the Giants were really able to establish the run during that little winning streak that they went on. But when you can't really effectively establish the run then it just kind of has these slower lumbering type of guys out there running routes and it does limit your ability to do things pre-snap and at the snap like you just alluded to i i hope that was see i hope that was more of a product of just the personnel the giants have but it's kind of hard to make that argument but the Giants did end up going in 11 personnel, and that's when we saw Dante Pettis, and they were able to kind of air it out. Daniel Jones looked good doing that. He had a lot of success doing that in Shermer's offense last year. Yes. So hopefully that is something that if Garrett is retained, they keep doing, especially if they sign kind of a stud receiver and their 11 personnel package ends up being Slayton, Shepard, and whoever that stud receiver is. And then the number four receiver could be Austin Mack or Dante Pettis or whomever. But the fact that 11 personnel this entire year consisted of Golden Tate, that's, that's an indictment on the personnel right there itself. I think it is an indictment on personnel, but I also think that you see a lot of examples of offensive systems and coordinators who make it work with their personnel based on their system. I think one example of this, and no one's going to think it's the type of team, but if you ever watch the Bears, especially now that Foles is out of the lineup because Foles was such a disaster there, if you watch the way that Matt Nagy uses that offense, and he doesn't have much besides Allen Robinson anywhere on that offense, and a pretty bad O-line comparable or worse than the Giants there's a lot of pre-snap motion there's a lot of misdirection and there's a lot of space and you see guys like Mooney making plays like Darnell Mooney the Giants I don't really think like Darnell Mooney is any more talented than a Golden Tate or you know any of these guys really I would say I mean they're just two totally different players Darius Slayton's one I can I can agree with you on that but Golden Tate's just you watch the film, Dan. How many times is he going into a break? Daniel Jones throws the football. He comes out of the break and he throws his hands in the air like, why didn't I get the football? It's like, bro, it takes you forever to get in and out of your breaks, It man. does take him a while. He's an older player. I completely agree with that. I think part of the problem also is they're running a lot of curve. They At the beginning of the year, they were running. Mm-hmm. Throughout the year, they've run a lot of these like hard to great separation yeah. routes. Um, but ultimately, it's a league that, like you said, you mentioned something before. You said... When it, when it looks good and it's working because they're able to establish a run, it looks a lot better. But the problem is, 
I think you ultimately cap yourself as an offense when you are that, that style of offense because this is a league where you need to win with big chunk plays in the passing game. It's you know, There's two ways to win. There's the two most important things for winning are chunk plays in the passing game and red zone passing. Not red zone running because it's very hard to run in the red zone. Red zone passing. And when you're running out of these heavy personnels, it's really hard. Or when you're using these heavy personnel packages so often, it's really hard to get both of those things in my mind. And it's hard to create space. So... I think this is who Garrett is. This is who he was with the Cowboys. There's a reason why every Cowboys fan and analyst we talked to before the season said you're going to hate this signing and we can't wait to get rid of him. And there's a reason he lost his play calling duties in Dallas. And I ultimately think it was a bad hire. I understand why they did it. They wanted to get a coach, a coordinator with experience to help Joe Judge, who was basically out of nowhere becoming a head coach from special teams coordinator. They wanted to get somebody who they thought had success working with quarterbacks, was a former quarterback himself, to develop a second-year quarterback like Daniel Jones. Those two ideas weren't bad ideas. But now, the idea has come to fruition. We've seen it actually play out. We've seen 17 games of this offense. And this is just a br- this is not a good offensive system, and I don't foresee it radically changing in the offseason. I don't think there's going to be any kind of difference if they add that playmaker. I have a different opinion. I know you think it could be. I think it could be more productive offense with a good playmaker, but I think it will still look pretty similar. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and yeah. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, adding a playmaker obviously would definitely enhance the offense. I think yes. adding Saquon Barkley would obviously enhance the offense. But you're right, you still want to see the offense spread out a little bit more. You want to see more route combinations that maximize yards after the catch. And those aren't things that we necessarily see consistently with Jason Garrett. It's not like Jason Garrett goes out there and just doesn't call those types of plays. Yeah. It's just foundational plays, plays that he uses a lot, don't always maximize Yak. And Though today, for some reason, that whip route was wide open in the red zone. It's as if the, yeah. Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys, there were two plays the Giants called today that the Dallas Cowboys allowed big gains on that made no sense to me. The first was the end around to Shepard that the Giants put on tape once a week for the last 10 weeks, and the Dallas Cowboys acted like they had never seen that play before in their lives. Like, Shepard had two guys walk, Nick Gates walking him, escorting him into the end zone on that one. And then the whip route in the red zone, all the Giants do is run this whip route, and it's like the Cowboys were just nowhere near it and Shepard and then Shepard you know had the beat to the end zone for it so it was interesting to see but ultimately I'm kind of in the boat of that that's the key change I would love to see this offseason I think it could change a lot for Jones next season for Shepard for Ingram especially because he's going to be on the roster for whoever they add at receiver because we know they're going to add something at receiver whether that be the Allen Robinson or a free agent whether that be the first round pick or a second round pick they're gonna add something and then like you said Saquon Barkley well I do like the fact that Garrett's system uses a lot of power and gap for Barkley, I think there's ultimately a lot of ways to help Barkley. I mean, if the Giants did something like hire Moorhead, his coordinator in college, and also a guy who's going to use a lot of gun, which Daniel Jones is better at from the shotgun, and then run a lot of zone read with Daniel Jones, kind of use him like a Trace McSorley at Penn State, really implement a lot of that offense, it could shock the NFL. If they if he brought that offense to the NFL with Barkley and Jones, it could really shock teams. The Giants would, they'd have no film on the Giants active, playing an offense like that, and it could just invigorate the Giants. It's just an outside the bomb. I'm not saying they should do this. I'm not saying it's the thing they should definitely do, but considering Moorhead and considering what he could do for this offense, the spark he could provide, it's just the type of outside the box thinking that I would hope the Giants can sometimes consider and try out because sometimes that's what they need. The offense right now finishes the season 31st in the NFL. They need some kind of spark. I don't ultimately think adding one big-time receiver makes them go from 31st to top 10, but I think changing the system gives them a much better chance of making a bigger jump. Yeah, unless we were to believe that just progression in the system and things like that, the continuity would also lead to a better output in terms of points, which theoretically it could happen, but the essence of what you say, I can see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong for all the things we already pointed to. Another thing that's a little upsetting about this game is... Oh, what's that? These damn defensive backs can't catch a damn football. <laughs> <laughs> they got butterfingers. Julian Love with his second dropped interception. He looked good, though, bro. He did look good. He should have been playing... Clearly, Julian Love should have been playing corner this whole season. I I, uh, I come away like revitalized with my Julian Love love, to be if honest. If he's at corner, yeah. Yeah. He looks... Here's the thing, like, the Giants are going to play a lot of zone. If he had had all these reps from the start of the season at corner, he probably could be feeling really, you know, good about where he is at on every play in Patrick Graham's system right now if he had more experience playing Mm. corner. And he's starting to get it. He's now played it, what, two weeks in a row? 
and I think going into next season, they should convert him back to corner in this system. I think they will, especially now that they re-signed Logan Ryan. Ryan and McKinney, yeah. There's really no reason to have him. He could be an upgrade to to Yidem there. He could really be an immediate upgrade to Yidem. And having Yidem as your number three boundary corner isn't terrible. Not terrible. It's not terrible. terrible. Ideally, you want him. Great. It's not terrible. (laughs) Ideally, you want him as the four. (laughs) It's okay in zone. It's not terrible. But you ideally you want like another Bradbury if you can find one. That would really revolutionize this defense. But that's going to be hard to find. But maybe that comes at pick eleven. Patrick Sertan, mm-hmm. the second, great pedigree. Uh, the kid from Virginia or Virginia Tech, Farley. Farley, yeah. He's got all the tools. So there's also a lot of good corner prospects. I think the Giants should consider. We're going to talk draft eventually. There's a lot to talk about there. But I do want to wrap up here, Nick, because we're going pretty long. I want to break down the Giants. 2021 opponents the schedule is not out and won't be out until this april but the opponents are now decided and with that the only good news not the only good news besides the the eight picks they made up in the draft from that tank job by the philadelphia eagles the giants now also get to play the second place schedule instead of the first place schedule in the nfc east and the second place schedule means they're going to get to play the LA Rams instead of the Seattle Seahawks, which I think is probably ne- negligible. I think it's they beat the Seahawks this year, lost to the Rams. I don't think that's an upgrade or downgrade either way, but a major upgrade in the NFC North where they now play the Chicago Bears instead of the Green Bay Packers. That's huge. That's, in my opinion, very nice because the Packers are not a team that the Giants are on the level of right now. Not the way Aaron Rodgers is playing football right now. But the Bears, even though the Giants have lost two in a row to the Bears, They've been close games. The Giants could have easily won either of them. Who even knows who their quarterback's going to be next season? Or their coach. Or their coach. Or their uh, general manager. Like, there could be some disarray there with Chicago. So, that's a nice thing. So, here's the Giants' home games next year. Three NFC East games. They have the Falcons at home next year. The Panthers at home. The Denver Broncos at home. The Vegas Raiders at home. And I think that's a nice little advantage there to have Denver at home. Denver's a really hard team to play in Denver, especially if it's early in the season. As far as the other games go, Atlanta, Carolina, not major home field advantages. Vegas is going to have fans there probably next year, so that'll be interesting. Maybe we'll go out for that game, Nick. Let's do it. And then, finally, the Rams at home they're going to have. I don't mind this because that means we get the Chiefs on the road, and that's probably going to be an automatic loss. <laughs> yeah. so exactly. it's Why waste the home game? Yeah. So then, like you said, Chiefs on the road in Kansas City. Saints in New Orleans, not great. Nobody wants to go to that dome. But Chargers in L.A., that's great. They have no home field advantage. That's amazing. It's a great draw for the Giants. Then Bucks in Tampa, whatever. I don't think they have some kind of crazy uh, home field advantage. Also, I like Jones better in the nice weather, throwing the ball. And then finally, Chicago in Chicago, which who knows what you're going to get there. But it otherwise would have been Green Bay. Yeah, and uh, um, we usually kind of come away complaining about the schedule. And sometimes that's because of uh, the the sequence of the schedule. Too many away games and travel and stuff like that. <laughs> so I guess we'll have to wait to see when the schedule comes out. Because wouldn't it suck if you have like two back-to-back road trips and then you end up going down to Tampa Bay or something like that and you just log thousands and thousands of miles in the two-and-a-half-week span? Well, the good news about that, Nick, is they this is actually probably going to be their biggest advantage they've had in I don't know, five, ten years. They have one total West Coast trip. Just L.A. They don't have a single other West Coast mm. trip. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, because Kansas City is Kansas not Kansas City, that far. Midwest, Tampa, nothing. New Orleans, nothing. And then Chicago, nothing. So that, that's interesting. That is gigantic, really. Because I do feel like the Giants... I mean, they played the AFC North this year, so that wasn't a lot of travel. But they had, NFC they, West. In the NFC West, they had to go way out there. They had to go to Seattle. They had to go to Los Angeles. And that's not a... It's got a far trips. Yep, not great. All right, anyway... Thanks again to everybody listening in and tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. This is our last recap quick takeaways episode of the year. Unfortunately, we thought we might be able to get one more in if the Giants had that home game next year. Thank you to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the podcast. There's actually no new reviews to talk about. There haven't been the past two pods, so that's the reason we haven't read any reviews. If you want to get your shout out, I don't know if this means anything to you, but if it does, God bless you. We're happy about it. And so write a review in. Or you can ask us a question in the review. We'll answer it. Tell us something you want to tell us in the review. We haven't had a new review since the 11th of December, but we do have a few new ratings. We're up to 439 ratings, which is awesome. Our new goal is 500. Eventually, we want to hit that 1,000 mark. That's a longer-term goal. But stay tuned. 
The Big Blue Banter is not done. We're nowhere near done. Our best work comes in the offseason. This week, what you can expect is two All-22 podcasts to kind of figure out what happened in this Dallas game, players we want to look forward to watching more of and players who we think can be building blocks on this roster in the future. And then we're going to get to some offseason stuff. The news could come. If the Giants move on from Gettleman, if the Giants move on from Garrett, if anything else happens news-wise with the Giants, we're probably going to have some reaction pods. So stay tuned for those. Those we're going to try to get out immediately when the news breaks. We think that will be valuable to you guys. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.